Greetings there, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler. I'm here with episode number 80 of Twig's SE Reflections podcast. This is a series of audio reflections made for SE students and practitioners everywhere, folks that are studying the psychobiological literature, somatic healing arts, applying such ideas to their therapy, their practice with people in the helping professions. Yes, indeed. Episode 80, here we are. What to do when every new sensation comes as a threat? That could be extended. We could kind of grab things out of today's episode to what if just every single new thing is a threat? Every new idea, every new concern, every new possibility, every new change in a person's life comes as a signal of danger, as a signal of something that they want to avoid. But I think I'll try to pull this back, pull this back to what to do, what can we do when every new sensation is a threat, particularly since so much of our work is asking people to feel their sensations and to track their sensations and get to know them, befriend them, participate with them. What to do if every single thing that a person can attend to in their bodily experience is conceived as something that's dangerous, felt as something that's threatening, painful, discomforting. Hard times that can be. Well, on the way there, let me say, I'm out here in the desert. In the desert I am, uh, Arizona. I'm out in my in a wash. A wash is, uh, well, it's an arroyo is what we call it out here. And um, it's kind of like a creek, seasonal creek creek that happens when a rainstorm comes. I'm in my car. This is my traveling studio. I've stepped away from my camping for the morning, sunrise, to come out and continue this project. You'll notice maybe a little bit of something in my voice. I've been sick the last few days, dealing with some, uh, yeah, bodily illness and migraines, and it's been rough, but this, this project needs to continue. We are in the home stretch at episode 80, So today, out here on my traveling studio talking to you about what to do when one of your clients comes in and you ask, what do you notice now? And they say, pain. And then you ask, well, okay, and then what else do you notice? Pain. And, uh, oh, uh, anywhere else that you notice it's not as painful as all of that? Pain, pain, pain. What do you do when every new sensation is a threat? Well, you know, let me let me name a few concerns that come up right away that should you come across that, you might just have some bells and whistles that go off in your own mind because these these will these will impact every other possibility or every other thing that might come later. One of them is that you could become associated to the pain, the threat, the sense of something being wrong. You as the practitioner simply by asking people to pay attention to themselves if their kind of trajectory is that one painful thing, one sensation is going to lead to the next painful thing. If you go in there asking for those kinds of things, you could, you know, maybe you're trying to do good and you're trying to find the the pinky toe, you know, the smallest little area of some thing that's not as painful, you could you could inevitably become kind of 
connected to the fact that this person feels pain simply by asking more and more questions into their painful experience. So that's a concern. That's a real concern because you don't want to be associated to people's pain and discomfort. You want to be associated to their at least something being not as bad or more neutral or ideally, oh, I got more comfort out of hanging out with you for the last hour rather than just being dragged through all of my discomforts. So that's a concern. And it since it plays a part in everything that might come later, when you hear pain, 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 red, 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 trauma vortex, trauma vortex, trauma vortex, when you hear those kind of signals coming forward, be cautious as you move on as it, it could stall things for later. You'll also notice that you try to do this or that and nothing changes. You know, you, you come in and you try to do guided imagery or you try to do some kind of felt sense, feel this, feel that. You try to direct the pendulation. You try to find a more comfortable body position in the chair, etc., etc. You try to do something and nothing works. This is another concern. The more we reinforce that nothing works, the more you don't see anything change, the more we reinforce the idea that nothing is going to change. And maybe that therapy, even this special therapy, somatic experiencing, isn't going to help the change come. It's one of the bigger challenges that the longer a person has felt continuous, constant, real pain in their life, the more they might assume that that's the way it's always going to be. So when you come in with all of your plans for making this different, if you notice that one of these is going to the next, is going to the next, and it's not helping the change come, you might realize that part of what you're then doing is helping to reinforce the notion that nothing here is going to change. And so you could both be associated to the fact that nothing's going to change and that it's painful, and you could also simply reinforce that this is pointless, this is hopeless. Um, it's a concern and something that you want to be cautious of. Another concern, and actually maybe the biggest one, is that our client, our person, the person that we're talking about here with so much ongoing suffering, that that might continue. You know, that's the biggest concern, that the sense of distress and discomfort would would just continue for another day, another week, another month, another year, the rest of their life. And that's not what we want. We don't want that. We, you know, it's not necessarily by having that concern you can do anything about it, if, especially if it's beyond your, beyond your reach to be able to fix this or to help change this. And that is the biggest concern. The biggest concern is that our clients would continue to suffer. And we don't want them to do that. We don't want that to happen. So here we'll, uh, we'll talk about some other elements here. One thing is that some people have chronic pain, real long-lasting pain that just goes on forever, and they have found, enabled, accessed a certain kind of equanimity about it, a certain kind of witness about it, a certain acceptance of it. Not that, not that they've been able to accept the pain and that it feels good, but that the notion of the fact that they're in pain doesn't doesn't spark up the the antagonism so much that they that they're in some way trying to befriend it or learn from it use it as some of us say as a teacher they're kind of finding the rhythm in their day 
to bring it bring it at least a little quieter, not have it flare up so much. On the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, there are people who, who you know, the sense of their pain is entirely antagonistic. They, they're mad at you. They're mad at other people. They're mad at the situation. They're mad at the pain. The antagonism, aggression around the notion of being in so much pain is very much at the surface and, and ready to strike out. I think that both of those are really understandable. You know, on one hand, you don't want to reinforce it any more than it needs to be. On the other hand, if you're in a lot of pain, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really freaking annoying. And it could possibly be totally acceptable and understandable that it would cause so much anger and likelihood or willingness to lash out at others with it. These are kind of two ends, two polarities for sure, but there must be some kind of spectrum in between, you know, where sometimes it's like, oh, I can deal with this and I can kind of do the best that I can given the situation. Other times it's like, oh, you know, come near me and I'm just going to bite your head off. From our perspective, from working with folks, it has to be said it's a bit easier generally speaking, unless it's completion of the fight response that's going to help some amount of the pain to go away. But for the most part, when when people can have a certain distance, a certain witness, a certain amount of equanimity around their pain, it makes it easier for us to accompany them, no doubt. And that's not exactly something we can always ask for. You can't just ask somebody who's really agitated by their discomfort to put that down and see the the informative teacher side of this and how it's asking you to quiet down and calm down in your life and maybe not try to do so much or whatever like that. We can't just necessarily demand or suggest the equanimous stance and it's easier, no doubt, it's easier to work with chronic pain or consistent pain or overwhelming pain when there's a certain a certain amount of distance from it. Whenever you can help a person gain that distance, you're going to help all the other work that you might do. So I'll, I'll, I'll name out that range, not any great ideas yet there on how to help those with more passion for the pain to become dispassionate, more dispassionate about it. And the more dispassionate about it that we can be, that they can be, the, uh, I guess, the easier all of this is going to come forward. Having a, an idea about why or the reasons for such consistent pain can be pretty important. Of course, there's, there's a lot in the somatic and traumatology literature about chronic pain. Um, there's a lot of workshops. Peter Levine does great stuff on this. I'm not going to go into all the reasons, but I, I will name a few, right? We could have a simple missignaling, it wouldn't be simple, it'd be a complex, it'd be complex missignaling, misfiring, um, miscommunication, chaotic signaling between the various different subsystems of the autonomic nervous system. You know, the autonomic nervous system is responsible for basic things like muscle tone and tension and relaxation, the get up to go, the let down to rest, all of that kind of thing is, you know, we can, we can direct a lot of our behavior from 
more central or kind of cognitive parts of our brain where we're thinking things through and such. But at the the baseline, how much tension is in our muscles and such, a lot of that has to do with whether or not the sympathetic system is telling the muscles to act or the parasympathetic system is telling the muscles to let go. And in this kind of back and forthness, that signaling can be quite confused for some people at times. A lot of us have felt that. In fact, probably everybody's felt that to some extent at some point. And the more confused that can be, the more likely we are to end up with chronic pain where muscles or kind of tension patterns are going off, getting trying to be used, perhaps getting exhausted, in fact, from being used so much, constantly on edge, constantly vigilant, constantly active. And corresponding system, the parasympathetic system saying, hey, you know, let's let's let this down. Let's rest and repair. Let's kind of regain some of the energy that will be helpful for when action needs to happen again. When there's a miscommunication between these two systems, when everything stays on and tries to turn off more or less at the same time or in some kind of quick chaotic signaling back and forth, pain pain it, um, often is a consequence or result of that. Another frequent but sometimes overlooked fa- fa- facet, facet um, function of pain in somatic experiencing is the role of the fascial system. You know, rolfing and other structural integration kind of systems have a good handle on this, that adhesions and kind of chronic tightness in the the skin inside the skin of us you know these these membranes that are the wrapping tissue around organs and and muscle groups muscles themselves muscle groups all of the the collagen fibers that live in a what they call ground substance they live in a kind of colloidal um let's do better than that a gelatin kind of substance so we have these fibers that live inside of this gelatinous kind of material and those fibers are meant to move gently inside of that that material that jello kind of stuff and when when that jello gets dried out or gets too cold or those fibers have been impacted and impress upon one another any of these different kinds of reasons can happen that the the fiber can all adhere and stick together, kind of glue together, and that limits movement. That limits movement and makes it so that it's painful. So fascia can play a a role in this, and there's a relationship between fascia and the nervous system of like the fascia being told to pull excessively when it's not necessary, which can kind of lead to this sense of pain everywhere or pain along a whole like range of the body. True enough. Um, sometimes actual manual manipulation of the fascial system is uh, is helpful, if not just totally critically and important. But it's something for us to keep in mind. It's not always the nervous system. Sometimes it is the structure. Yes. And then um, there's co-contraction. This is, this is pretty close to the misfiring or the missignaling idea between the sympathetic and the dorsal vagal system or the sympathetic and parasympathetic system is a better way for me to say that here. But the co-contraction of musculature is a, is a big pain sequence. Like 
tightness in the neck, chronic tightness in the neck and shoulders and unable to move. I, I worked with a fella just briefly and really didn't get enough traction with him. But you'll you'll see this. But I, I was in Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo. And in 2008, when I was there, I met with a man. We only had like 40 minutes or something, just really not going to be enough, you know. But he hadn't been able to move his arm for several years. His right arm, it was just uh, kind of frozen, you know, frozen shoulder, we call it. And you can just, you can see when that happens or when you come across this, that there's there's just like this incredible competition between what we might call the agonist and the antagonist muscles that are meant to move a joint or like pull a bone across a joint, you know, to affect a movement. So that's the agonist and the antagonist is the opposite of that. So the muscle that's meant to release in the case of the shoulder girdle up there underneath your shoulder and everything, it's quite complicated with all kinds of muscles in there. A simpler place to see it is the head and neck. When a person complains of not having very much range of motion going to the right or to the left, that it's just like chronically tight. You can kind of see how muscles on both sides of the neck are both tightening down, almost like they're both saying, turn this way, turn this way, trying to pull in order to affect that turn. And by both pulling at the same time, they don't move at all. In fact, we just kind of stay stuck and still. If that goes on long enough, we can both feel the chronic pain and tension from that, but then also the lack of movement. And there we start to get into an issue sometimes of the fascial system not having had enough movement to keep those fibers loose and friendly to one another. And there you go. Co-contraction of the musculature, holding everything still and still. It's two competing impulses. What do you get out of that? Tonic immobility, right? You get tonic immobility. It's just not, not moving you can see that in a lot of the critter videos that are going around, like on YouTube and Facebook sometimes, where a deer maybe will get, you know, kind of stuck into freeze, and you can see, or an impala, there's another one of that. You can see these, uh, their legs kind of sticking straight up in the air. That's the muscles all holding taut, co-contraction, and that can be very painful. Yes. There are uh, surely other reasons for chronic pain, and um, some of them are probably just completely organic or things that would be brought up from an MRI or something like that, like um, like a slip disc, yeah, something structural that's impinging on a nerve, something very real and noticeable by certain kinds of people that might not be us. Some of you could probably palpate those and, and figure that out. But when you are working with somebody with chronic pain, everything is painful, everything leads to pain. Although at times they can be reluctant to do this, it's important for us in our profession to make sure that people go see a real doctor and get a kind of a checkup and a, an overview of like, you know, a real a real study of what's going on to make sure that there isn't anything impinging or structurally in the way of, of, um, you know, less pain. <laughs> so, so make sure that you're, you know, when you meet with somebody who complains of this, particularly if it's gone on for a very long time, that you, you make sure that they've been checked out and 
you've got some kind of purview for for doing work with them before before they've made sure that it's not obviously you know well this disc that slipped in my neck okay well those are those are all in there we we could move on to challenges you know for challenges for us let's assume let's assume that we see that this is something for us to work on that this is something for us to try to help with and we we go into trying to do that and then there's obviously a group of challenges right like the biggest one is that there's not going to be very much to pendulate with you're going to start to ask for okay well you notice that and what else do you notice oh you notice that pain and can i ask as you notice that pain uh what else do you become aware of and you know that's that's one pattern there's another pattern you could just start by trying to tell people to look for a place in their body where they they feel less pain or feel more comfortable or don't feel as much pain or feel things that are quieter or easier to feel we also we have patterns where you could you could go into the pain question oh you notice that pain and then what else do you notice oh, and then you start to get a a sequence of one pain to the next pain to the next pain you could then ask for a question like well um you notice the headache and you notice the tension in your chest and is there a place in your body where things aren't as tense or as uncomfortable as those things we often have to look for really prime for ask for direct for places opportunities to feel something that expresses some kind of pendulation some kind of difference that isn't as bad as uncomfortable even better you know and and we kind of maybe recommend you be a little careful about your language there when you're talking with somebody who complains about a lot of pain if you're talking about things that are better it's a little hard for them to to notice those and if it's on the conflictual side of things it's an easy way to get people's ire up you know you say like oh let's look for a place that feels good a place that feels better a place that feels like you like that and not everybody's going to be able to find that and in not being able to find that you asking for it you could increase that agitation instead it might be wise to just maintain the language on the side of the red vortex the trauma vortex the discomforting side but to keep that in terms of scale difference so it could be oh that's uncomfortable and is there a place that's not as uncomfortable as that oh is there a place that's less uncomfortable than that you're not trying to say hey look, look for a place that feels better which could get some people's hackles up instead you're just trying to help people feel something that's better but by helping keep the language on the side of things not feeling good which is the fact of the matter is things aren't feeling good so you you go asking for something that feels good and uh, oh unto you so there's a challenge that there won't be much there won't be elements for pendulation to happen it'll be more like red to red to red danger to danger to danger pain to pain to pain trauma stuff trauma stuff trauma stuff yeah there's others the the challenge that everybody else or everything else might be considered responsible for the pain you know so that every time a pain signal or a notion of it or some kind of attention to it actually calls up the storyline about somebody who's responsible for it or this event that did it or this person who you know kind of makes me feel this way and not that that can't be a direction for you to turn down in order to try to attend to it it can and at the same time 
it can just be wildly distracting if you're trying to affect some kind of noticing of pain and difference and try to get some traction for things to change if that's constantly bouncing out toward you know what caused this the the meaning state behind it that that's just challenging so i'm just going to name it as one of the challenges and then another challenge which i already mentioned before but bears repeating i suppose is that the longer this has gone on the more it's been reinforced the more likely it is to continue so when you are talking with people about this kind of pain where it's just like so so repetitive getting some perspective on how long this has been going the longevity of this is pretty critical so that one you can have an interpretation or an appreciation of how much of this you can hope or should hope to try to change which by the way might universally be pretty small given what we're talking about here but certainly the longer it's been you know since childhood since teenage years since you know my 20s whatever the longer it's been the more it's been reinforced the more likely it is to continue to reinforce itself and the more challenging it's going to be to get that repetitive signal to start to notice other options so keep that in mind as a challenge the longer this has been going the the more lasting it is going to be and therefore the more measured your ambition for trying to help it change should probably be okay there's some challenges there's probably more out there not going to be exhaustive as i've promised before in twigs essay reflections this will not be exhaustive that's why we go to workshops that last for days and days this is a conversation while you're washing the dishes you're driving your car you're making banana bread this this is not exhaustive so those are some challenges and uh, what are some possibilities? Well, one possibility, one possibility to mention straight up is that this might not change. You know, I don't, I don't want that to be the case. You don't want this to be the case. We don't want this to be the case. And if we go into it thinking, it's my responsibility to change this. It's your responsibility to try to help. That's true. But if it's your responsibility to change this, and you have to change this in this session, and this chronic pain, this pain that goes to everything else, this pain that like means more pain, is suddenly, somehow, because of your brilliance, because of the magic of SE, because of all of you know your desire, even the client's desire for this to change, if this is going to change in the next hour, the next 40 minutes, the next 30 minutes, magic could happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. In fact, I have seen many times more than I would have anticipated at this point I have seen people report oh my gosh it's like I don't feel as much pain it happens and if we go into these kind of sessions into these meetings into work with these kinds of situations with the assumption demand what can I say no you know no don't do that I mean I'm just gonna say don't do that don't do that because the the passion for that, the expectation for that, the demand for that is a great way to increase the challenge of anything changing. One of the weirdest things about this is probably that everybody needs to back away from the pain. There probably needs to be less attention on the pain. There probably needs to be more distance from the pain. There probably needs to be 
less reinforcement of attention on it and assuming that we're going to kind of get in here and fix all of this is very much a kind of like going in and doing something to the pain, making this, you know, bringing in some of our skills or, you know, requests that we call people's attention toward and wow, you know, uh, you go, you go in with too much ambition and you could set up false expectations for you or for the client. You could jeopardize the working relationship that the two of you will need to work over time together from a slightly more dispassionate, more observational stance. You'll, you'll, you'll just, you know, maybe, maybe it'll work. And if I could say when, uh, when you meet with somebody who has this quality of pain, if everybody can sit back in the chair a little bit more and respect the power of this discomfort and the intractable nature of it as it's had so far, um, I think you'll probably just be better off over time, although that won't provide the, the magic, the sense that this is everything that needs to happen. Which yes, this is a this is a bit of a marketing issue, and to, to be honest, a little bit of a setting the contract kind of thing. Because of course, people with chronic pain, they often come to us with the hope that we might be the ones to finally be able to help. Because they've heard about what SE can do, they've had a lot of failure with help coming from other things in the past, and there can be a certain kind of pressure on proving out that this is worth their time. Um, you know, that that actually goes to a, a different conversation, but it's one for you to be aware of that you can't you can't promise something, don't want to promise something that is unlikely to happen simply because of the gravity, the nature of this situation. So getting a more realistic contract together might be a critical thing for your working relationship over time, which is probably what a situation like this is going to require, is working together over time. You know, we can't help people if they don't come back, so we need them to want to keep coming back. Okay, so one possible thing is just to um, recognize the gravity of the situation. And with that, to recognize that probably one of the bigger needs here challenging to get there, no doubt, but one of the bigger needs is probably to have more space, more distance from the active attention on the pain. This is a place where things like simulated pendulation or sometimes called half sandwich or veggie sandwich by Stephen Hoskinson or like bringing the attention out, the gift of gab as Peter Levine used to call it, like to, to bring the attention out into the conversation, into the environment have less attention on the internal state. Sometimes, in fact, um, maybe maybe you won't hear me say this somewhere else, so I'll say it now. Like sometimes when you're you're doing that, you might just be glancing past the internal experience in such a quick way, such a fast manner. I, I have a line. You're, well, please use it, uh, adapt it, whatever. I say something like, you know, maybe if we just go and, and check in on that again, all I would do is say, you know, sometimes you're going to go see a friend. You don't have time to stop. You can't have tea, but you, you really want to see them and see how they're doing and just kind of like stick your head in. You almost say as you're sticking your head in the door, you say, I love you. 
I really want to stop and visit. I can't. I got to go already. Maybe I'll just uh, say hi and I'll come back and see some other time. And so you're kind of like saying hello and goodbye at the same time. That's maybe the the pace and pattern that I typically take on when addressing these pain issues on the internal experiences. I'm keeping the attention mostly outside and sometimes that requires activities that we share, um, passing a ball back and forth. My friend down in Brazil, Angela, she sometimes finds an activity that people like to do and they do that activity together. Maybe that's drawing or painting together or looking through picture books that she has in her office. You know, you, you find some kind of shared activity that the two of you can do together. And then every once in a while, just in glance, just in passing, you bring the attention in, just notice how things are, and you bring the attention back out again. A lot of you probably have similar activities that you have in your office you can give to people to do. I used to play cards with people, actually. I had a deck of cards, and I would I would play cards. We'd just play a soft game of this or that kind of um Actually, sometimes I'd do that for arousal, but but yeah, I played cards a few times, just like a go fish kind of game, just to have something else to pay attention to. And then you check in and get back out again. So there's this, keeping the attention out, doing other things, distractions. Funny enough, walks sometimes help. You can go for a walk and look at the world around you and you just have a break, actually. It's a very strange thing. People pay you for this but it couldn't be necessary to have space away from reflection on the pain. Go about how you find that in your own way, I suppose. But, but keep in mind, it's a principle. The more it gets reinforced, the more it gets attention, the more it will reinforce itself. Sometimes what you need is the experience of difference. At this point, exp- you know, explained or expressed or experienced as the ventral vagal complex the orientation system, the engagement system, the kind of looking at and attending to the world around me system, having a more dominant influence on attention, and then only passing notion or reflection on the disquietude, the stress response, the um, discomforts inside, back out to the orientation, pay attention outside of me kind of thing. Okay, so beyond distractions, some people are amiable to this, and you can have quite a lot of helpfulness in this, of using guided imagery. This is not always going to work. This is not always going to help. Some people are just, you know, particularly if you, well, it just kind of goes in all kinds of different directions. Sometimes you give more direction on the guide of what you're telling them to see. Sometimes you give them less. You give them more what do you see? You ask back and then you ask for them to see something like a place that they've enjoyed, a, a place in the world, a time in their life that they felt more comfortable. This, this I'll just kind of leave out there for you to kind of think your way through, but sure, guided imagery. Imagery in general might be a way to get more distance from the pain. Even, I could say, if you feel like you're up for it, if you feel like your client's up for it, to be able to experience the pain as an image at a distance get enough distance where we can witness the pain witness its qualities what does it look like that might be a place um, particularly when you're trying to get full-on pendulation to use that kind of 
opposite question. Oh, you see the pain. It looks like that. It's a black box. It's tight. It's got this or that quality to it. Okay. Now, this this is actually a classic Peter Levine movement here. Now, when you see that box, I'm just going to ask you to think of the first word, the first thing that comes to your mind, the very first thing that comes. It doesn't have to make any sense. It doesn't have to, yeah, it doesn't have to make any sense. It'll just be the first thing that comes to your mind when I say, what's the opposite of that? And there's ways to set that up more fluidly or um, like exhaustively, but the idea is that you're trying to get the notion of the pain. You're trying to be able to see that probably ask permission. I would ask permission. I'm sure I would ask permission. Like, okay, well, is it okay if I ask you a bit about that? Is it okay if we look at that a little bit? Is it okay if, if I ask you what, what do you notice when you kind of look at that pain? What does it look like? What would it feel like? Or what does it, what does that feeling feel like it would look like if it was something? Okay, you see that thing and then what's the opposite of that thing? Uh, that might be a way to get some guided imagery pendulation going where you then would want to pay attention to the opposite and probably from there you'd be doing kind of directed pendulation between its opposite and the original the opposite and the original the opposite and the original at various different levels there you can give them their own pace or you can direct the pace etc but eventually what you're going to be asking for is when you do that, when you go back and forth between these two, and we're just noticing for any change, any difference, things stay the same or they change in some way. And in that way, that extreme pendulation often affords some quality of change that a person can notice. And if you've had their participation up until that moment, then they will notice that difference. And then that gives you something to start to track into nicely, nicely done. So, um, there's guided imagery. Some of you have, have extensive guided imagery patterns. You go for it if you can get people to be involved and get a little distance from all that felt sense, physical sensation, pain. We talked about, I've got a little list here. I'm just kind of moving through. We talked about taking off the pressure for change, but that's, that's no doubt um, worth just coming back and forth to, back and forth, back and forth. We need to take away some of the pressure. It, it, it just doesn't help. The desire, totally understandable. In fact, a lot of times I would probably see myself saying, wow, you know, I just, I hear you. And that, that, that just sounds, well, it sounds painful, but it sounds exhausting. And, um, and I can totally understand the desire for that to change. In fact, I want it to change for you too. I, I want that to already be different for you. I don't want you to be in pain like this. And at the same time, I guess I, I guess I see that it, it, I guess I see from what you're saying, I guess I see that it's taken, it's taken a lot of time. It's taken a lot out of you. It's been going on for a long time. I, I guess that makes me realize that it's unlikely to simply change. If it was going to simply change, it would have already changed. And so we're going to have to, we're going to have to take this, we're going to have to take this step by step and try to help this change over time rather than try to make it, ask it, insist or hope that it would change all at once. That's something I'd probably hear myself say. Probably one of the most classic, classic, I think this is classic, this is classy for sure, patterns for dealing with this kind of thing, particularly on the co-contraction side of things or even the, the missignaling like 
am I, am I, am I trying to fight here? Am I trying to collapse here? You know, it's like kind of, you could think of those as co-contraction in their own way too, but not the same exactly. But these two competing, these two competing impulses where you have maybe a head and neck trying to turn both ways at once. And so it's just locked in. A lot of times you'll notice that people want the pain to go away. So they'll try to stretch out the pain. They'll kind of lean into it or do complicated yoga moves or kind of like really pressurize their system to try to stretch this out. And in fact, that's probably the least helpful thing to do. The notion is right. The desire is right. You want the flexibility and the mobility to return. It's just that the muscles are already pulling in and by kind of taking you know, turning to the left when the right side is trying to pull in as well. All you do is pull the right side. And that actually probably signals through, I think they call them the Goldie tendon apparatus, like the little, the little, little, um, little, little signal things inside of the, the tendons that tell us how much stretches on the muscle. If the muscle's pulling and the tendons have a certain kind of signal for that much pulling, then we stretch that and then the muscles or the tendons say, wait a second, now I'm pulling against the, I'm being stretched against the pull that I'm pulling on and that's the wrong direction. So they just pull tighter. Oh, <laughs> I knew I was going to have this. <laughs> oh, well, I, I guess I, I knew I was going to have this, but I was kind of hoping it wasn't. I've just been uh, paused here actually and talking with the border patrol being out here in Arizona, the border is a contested territory now. And so being at the end of the road as I am at the moment brought up some suspicions and I've been asked to move. So you know what? I'm, I'm just going to close this episode and, and realize that I'm in a different world right now. I will get back to this episode and other practical ideas about how to bring out more pendulation inside of this scene when everything turns to pain and I'll be back. Episode 81 coming soon. This is a closure, <laughs> a little funny one for me, a closure of episode 80 of Twig's SE Reflections and my friends. I'm wishing you the very best out there. My offer to help comes along with my limitations. That's just the way that is. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye now. Well, here's a little tracking twig moment to share news about the podcast series, Twigs Essie Reflections. You know, there's several ways you can find it. It's at liberationispossible.org backslash reflections. That's my website, liberationispossible.org backslash reflections. It's also available on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and in the podcasts area, look for Twigs Essie Reflections. On Facebook, the way I find it is I go to Google actually and Type in Facebook Twigs SE Reflections and then it comes up on Facebook. Well, I'll tell you, the last I looked, I was very, very close to seeing or I saw that the unique downloads, how many episodes have been downloaded, is is very close to 10,000. It was like 9,980. And I'm excited to cross that 10,000 line I'm going to be grateful for you 
if you can spread the word and help that to happen, if you share this project with a friend or a colleague of yours who might not know about it, that's just going to give me a nice pat on the back. Sometimes I'm out traveling and people tell me that they've been listening. That's really encouraging. And every once in a while I get an email or a kind of a tip or a suggestion or a hopefulness for what I'm doing. And and I'm I'm always really grateful for those. It will be a big pat on the back and and um, support when I see that we've crossed over 10,000 unique downloads, which means not that 10,000 people have listened, of course. It means that some number of people have downloaded enough episodes that it equals 10,000. doesn't even mean everybody has listened to all of those episodes. Certainly not. Maybe a lot of you haven't listened to most of them. But they're there. They're going to stay there as long as I can afford to maintain the server that puts them out and makes them public. And um, certainly having more people listen is an encouragement for me and my efforts. So here we are, almost to 10,000, which is pretty exciting, if you ask me. And, And I thank you for listening through. Yes, indeed. That's that.